Enough? Anybody too warm? Yeah? You got it? Nate's got it. Okay. Which... Nate and I, the battle of the smartphone. Who's going to turn the thermostat down first? It's too far to walk. I mean, good grief. Okay. Uh, just, so, just so you know, um, I, I didn't really think through a title for this message today. So we were typing labels up today to put on the CDs, and we decided to call this Here's What You Missed. And in parentheses, Bill thinks this is funny. So um, feel free to pick up some CDs and um, pass those to your friends. I said, is that obnoxious? And we're like, maybe a little. But um, we're thankful for those of you who made the effort today. And for those of you who uh, are listening on the podcast or on CD, um, we missed you this morning. And um, we're glad you're able to kind of catch up with what we're doing here this morning. I want to talk this morning for not a, not a whole long, we're just, going to hold on to, we're just going to shorten things up a little bit this morning so we can maybe beat the second wave of whatever's coming. Um, I want to talk a little bit about acceptance and rejection. The two most powerful forces on the human soul are acceptance and rejection. One we move toward, the other we move away from. One we embrace, the other we find repulsive. But either way, acceptance and rejection shape us. As you think about your childhood, um, as you think about the things that sort of hang on or are baggage from your past, either good or bad, as you think about people that you know who are very angry, you know those people that are generally... Because generally angry people are people um, who have been hurt. And they're hurt really stems from the fact that they've been rejected. The people that you know who are very balanced, like yourself, uh, people that you kind of look up to as you get to know their story, you'll find that essentially we are the sum total of the acceptance and rejection that we've received and experienced in our lives. Every word, every action, every nonverbal sends a message of acceptance or rejection, and we get them all throughout the day, day in, day out. And our hearts are drawn toward an environment of acceptance. All of us are. We're drawn that way. We don't control our hearts. We control what we say and what we do, but our hearts just move naturally toward an environment of acceptance. Acceptance is a powerful, powerful thing. And rejection is a powerful, powerful thing. And we know that there's not a one-to-one correlation between acceptance and rejection. In other words, if you do something to reject me, You can't do just one thing to accept me and we're even. It doesn't work that way for us. If you you reject me once, you need to do something to accept me like 10 times to make up for that in order to get back to kind of even ground because we feel that rejection and it's such a heavy thing, I guess, compared to acceptance. So on and on we could go with lots of examples and I could ask, we could, it's a small group, we could just tell our stories today. But as you think about your childhood, Or maybe you think about your relationship with your father, or you think about your marriage, or a former marriage, or your boss, and we could spend lots of time on this acceptance-rejection thing, and in the middle of all that chaos, as if we don't have enough of our own things to deal with, God comes along and he says, in the church, we want you, I want you to create an environment that's characterized by acceptance. In other words, I want you to develop the habit of accepting one another 
so that when people come in from all these dysfunctional environments, whether it's at work or at home or at school or wherever, that, or something from their past, that the one place they can walk into and know for certain that they're going to feel and be accepted is the church. So the church is to be unique. It ought to, people ought to be able to come into the church and they say, man, I don't, I don't believe necessarily what you believe. I don't know the songs. I can't find my way around the Bible. But I know this, when I come into this place, I just feel accepted. And that's a challenging thing for us, because you know something? We are naturally better rejectors than we are acceptors. And part of that is because of sin. Part of that is because of our backgrounds. Some of us are certainly better at this than others, but rejection comes very naturally. Have you noticed that? Uh, Have you noticed it in yourself? I mean, I notice it in myself. And yet God says, I want you to turn that around, and I want there to be this one safe haven on earth, and I want it to be my church. And when people come into the context of church, whatever that might look like, I want them to be and feel accepted. So this morning I want to look at just a handful of verses in Romans chapter 15. So if you're sitting somewhere where you can see your Bible, that's great. Or if you look it up in your phone, and and what do you know? We'll put it on the screen too. Romans chapter 15. I'm just curious, too, how many of you have ever participated in any kind of a small group dynamic, a small Bible study group or something like that of any kind, maybe in someone's home or in a church basement somewhere? Let me see, how many of you have ever participated in any kind of a... Okay, because in a few minutes I'm going to ask you a couple questions because I thought maybe we'd have a smaller crowd, just kind of like a bigger small group today. So I would like a little bit of of, uh, give and take, if that would be okay. So just be ready. Romans chapter 15, the apostle spells it out for us pretty clearly, and he give us, then he gives us some practical things to talk about when it comes to acceptance. So there's a letter to a church um, he's, this, in Romans chapter uh, 15. He's talking to a particular church about church people, and he says this. Romans 15, verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, in other words, I want, church, I want you to be unified. And we're all going like, yeah, unified. We can get behind that. It's a great idea, Paul. That's excellent. And then he says, and here's how you're going to do it. Verse uh, 16, I think. Is that right? Did I give you the wrong verses? No, verse 6. Sorry, verse 6 of chapter 15. Here's what he says. Accept one another. Am I right? Am I, did I give you the right verse? Score, I'm sorry. Seven. Give me verse seven, Corey. I knew, I knew, I told him I would probably screw this up for him today, so it's not Corey's fault, it's mine. Verse seven. Accept one another, or your Bible might say, therefore, if you're going to be a church that's characterized by unity, you must accept one another. In other words, accept one another is part of the church staying on track. It's, it's part of the church staying on mission. It's part of the church accomplishing uh, what the church is called to do. In order for there to be unity, we have to be and create environments where we accept one another. So, Corey, this is where I want to go ask a couple questions. I'm going to put them on the screen just to kind of reinforce that. So the first question is this. Why do people find it difficult to accept those who are different? Is that what it said? Why do people find it difficult to accept those who are different? Go. Ashley? Who says? No, sorry. Okay, change is hard. Okay. Yes, why? But why is why is that a big deal? Don't meet our standards. Don't meet our standards. What did you say? Because we're perfect? Did you say that? So, twenty-five years of marriage, I have had an influence there. So, yeah, I'm glad that you recognize that. I know exactly. I get you. I get you. Why do people find it hard to accept those who are different? 
You ever stop to think maybe you're the one that's different? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. So what reasons do Christians give? Let's just talk about Christians, because if you're here today on a stormy day and you're so dedicated that you, you know, you got to be here, I'm guessing we're talking to most Christians this morning, and I look around the room and I know most of you. What reasons do we as Christians give for not accepting certain types of people? What did you say, Dan? They don't meet our standards. We'll start there. Anything else? What? Don't trust? Okay. Don't understand? Okay, yeah. We don't know how to change, how to help them be more Christian. Okay. You mean more like us? <laughs> yes, right. Okay, yeah, yeah. We fear we might see ourselves in them? Ooh, we might see ourselves in them. What, like a weakness, you mean? Or something? I don't know. Um, they may not. And then they might do what? Reject us? Uh-huh. They might challenge us. We might have to go a little bit deeper to figure this thing out. The word accept, we use it all the time. The word accept simply means to receive. It means to take in. So if someone comes your way for a relationship, and as they move your way, you reach out and you receive them and you take them in. That's acceptance. The Apostle Paul says that the church, when people come your way, when you come one another's way, it's a mutual thing. He says, I want the habit, I want the tone, I want the characteristic of the church to be that people are received. Now, in a lot of environments, you may move toward a person, maybe toward a husband or a wife, maybe towards your kids or one of your kids, or maybe someone in the church, or maybe you're all geared up for a relationship, and you're kind of doing your thing, and they don't respond, and you just kind of bounce off, that we call rejection. What's the hardest part, then, next question, What's the hardest part about accepting everyone? Okay, so we're looking for a little bit of uh, reciprocation. Okay, so we fear we might be rejected. Okay? Chip away a part of who we are. What's that? Chip away, chipping away a part of what we think we are. Okay, okay. Anybody else? Yep. No, we don't. I, I found that for, for the most part, when we struggle to accept someone, we haven't really gotten to know that person. We are we're making a predetermination on externals and first and second impressions, and it doesn't go very deep. Um, I think sometimes we are pretty concerned with uh, being of what other people might think of us. You know, so if I accept this person. What's another person going to think of me? Um, might have to, you know, turn in my cool jacket. I don't know, because like, now I'm accepting them too. Um, or maybe, maybe I might have to actually forgive them for something. Think of somebody from your past that you have a hard time accepting, and maybe the first step in acceptance is actually forgiveness. Are you just talking well, stop talking amongst yourselves over there. And no. <laughs> oh, really? Cool. It's true. How, here's, the, here's the big question, okay, for us as a church, and I don't just mean faith community, but we'll start here because it's where we do life, but for the church uh, universal too, how would accepting it being, us being accepting of all people at all times set us apart? That's an understatement. How so? How would it set us apart? 
Yes? When you think of accepting of all people at all times, what do you think of? Thank you. I think of Jesus. How cool would it be if we were accepting of all people at all times and people, when they looked at us, thought of Jesus? Wouldn't that be cool? Isn't that our standard? Well, Paul says in this verse, or in these verses, in this, that in the church there should be no bouncing off. There should be no rejection. When a person comes in, regardless of their baggage and their stuff, there should be no bouncing off. When you can bounce off at work and you bounce off, you know, at the gym and you can bounce off in your home, but in the church, it's a whole different environment. He says, I want this to be an environment, wherever this environment is, where people are accepted, where they're received, where they're taken in. And then, as if that wasn't enough, now he kind of sets a standard. And then we're back in verse 7, Corey. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. In other words, uh, this isn't just accept each other uh, the way that you've seen others accept each other. He says, I want you to imagine, I mean, I mean, think back, pull back all the verses and all the theology you know. Think about how you were accepted by God through Christ. And he says, I want you to reflect that kind of acceptance toward one another. This isn't acceptance as we've known acceptance. This is a whole new league of acceptance. And what we're going to find is that by setting the bar so high, he takes away all of my excuses. He takes away all of your excuses as to why we won't accept one another, why we won't accept certain people. There are really two points of insider application that I want to kind of focus on and and uh, before we're done here today, as we kind of ask this question, what does it mean then to accept just as Christ accepted us? What's that mean? When Christ accepted you, what did that look like? And then he, he gives us two things. So the first one is this, that when Christ accepted you, he accepted you in spite of poor performance. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. That's what Paul says. Your Bible might say, just as Christ accepted you to the glory of God. In other words, he's saying when Christ accepted you, God got the glory. That when Christ accepted you and you received forgiveness of your sin and you became a Christian, that somehow the angels in heaven, when they saw that happen, it was kind of like, whoa, way to go, way to go, God. That somehow God got the credit for accepting us. Why would that be? He said, just as Christ accepted you to the praise or the glory of God. How could accepting me and you bring glory to God? Well, here's why. Because for him to accept me and for him to accept you was way beyond the call of duty. We don't give people praise and glory for the things that we just expect of them, do we? You know, guys, guys, your wife's never going to say, Honey, you finished that whole dessert. That's great. Way to go. Good job. Is that all you want? My wife never says to me, wow, you stayed up to watch that whole hockey game that went into triple overtime? Way to go. I've cooked a special dinner for you. You know, that doesn't, that, that's, you don't give praise and glory for things that are expected. You give praise and glory for things that are like, wow. You know, like, I can't believe you did that. And what he's alerting to here is, this is so powerful. He's saying this, that when God accepted you through Christ, it's a way beyond the call of duty kind of thing. And we don't live with every day with a sense of awe about that because we don't think, we don't think we're all that bad. That when God accepted us, he somehow just kind of reached down, maybe, maybe, 
ankle deep. And, you, you know, God's way up here, and he reached down like ankle deep and accepted us. Wow. Our sense of who we are and where we stand is so off. I'll tell you where you see this truth. In the book of Revelation, there's this great scene. John, who's, who was receiving this revelation and recording it for us, he was one of the disciples, which means he knew Jesus intimately, you know, the campfires and the meals and the s'mores and the walking on the water and the transfiguration and all that stuff, you know. Those clo- he was a close, intimate friend of Jesus. He was one of the good guys. When you look at the good guy list, you got Mother Teresa and you got Billy Graham and you got John the Apostle. You know, they're all, they're all right there. He's in the top echelon, okay? So in the book of Revelation, there's a scene where Jesus, his friend, who he's been with, who he's rubbed shoulders with, who he knows intimately, Jesus shows up in his glory, that is in his holiness, in his perfection, and John, close personal friend of Jesus, falls down on the ground with his face in the dirt, and he can't even look up at him because suddenly John, who's a good guy, is overwhelmed with how holy and how perfect God is and how sinful he is. So what the scene does for me is it paints a picture that God didn't just go ankle level to lift me up and accept me or to lift you up and accept you. God went way further than that because he's a holy, perfect God. And, and by accepting you and by receiving you and all, all of heaven went like, whoa, can you believe that? Unbelievable. It's unbelievable that God would do that. And so God gets the glory for that. The Apostle Paul says, I want you to look, overlook past performance because that's what God did when he accepted you. Overlook past performance and accept one another. So for us as a church to apply that, we might, first of all, need to regain our sense of awe at the holiness and perfection of God. Regain our sense of awe that he would receive people, take in sinners like us, because that's unbelievable. I'll tell you something I've observed, and maybe your observations are similar. Some of the most accepting people that I know are people who were at low, low, low lows when they met Christ. I mean, they blitzed through two or three marriages, and they'd been in jail, and they'd been in the middle of financial upheaval, and they'd been in deep depression, and, and they'd been addicted to drugs, or they'd been alcoholics. Or, I mean, even humanly, speaker, humanly speaking, set, a, set aside God's standard for a second, even humanly speaking, they considered themselves really, really low. And then when they met Christ, they were just overwhelmed with the unconditional love of God. And these are people who, generally speaking, they maintain that sense of awe. And consequently, they're some of the most accepting people that we know. It does Because it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. They're just so overwhelmed with the fact that God would receive me and they live with that. And they're the most accepting people that I interact with. Some of the most unaccepting people are people like me. Who've grown up in the church. We've avoided all the big ones. The big sins, you know, we skirted those, and they make, they make good stories, so I got a pretty, I don't have that big juicy story, it's pretty boring. The downside is there's a tendency for church people, and you know who you are, people have been raised in the church to kind of develop this artificial sense of, you know, like, I'm here and you're there, and I'm good and you're bad, and yes, yes, I acknowledge God had to extend grace to me to save me but not as much as to save other people. You know, God had to extend grace to me, had to extend amazing grace to you. You know, that God, and God, I think, would say, I, I think, I'm pretty sure I've heard him say to me, you are so ignorant, Todd. 
Maybe that was you. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> and the reason you struggle with acceptance, Todd, is because you've lost your sense of perspective. You've lost your sense of awe. You don't know what it meant for the God of heaven to reach down and accept you in spite of your past performance. There's a powerful um, illustration in Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace, which is a life changer. He talked about uh, grace and forgiveness, and he says, it's sort of like, it's sort of like being on a mountain looking down in a valley. Just kind of picture this. And as church people, we're kind of sort of up on the mountain. And we look down in the valley, and there's all the sinners. And we kind of have this sense of somehow that, that some people are holy, like us, and some are unholy. And it's like we're up on a mountain looking down. But while, while we're on a mountain looking down, God is hanging out on the outer edges of outer space somewhere. And to Him, the earth is just a big, smooth ball. That big deal that's a valley to us, to him, doesn't even register. The Apostle Paul says, just as your Heavenly Father through Christ received you in spite of your past performance, you must receive and accept one another the same way. Man, that's a ridiculous standard. All kinds of objections come up. You know, it's like, eh, what about sin? They're sinners, you know, they have sin in their lives. I might get dirty if I get some of that on me. You know, you deal with that sin and maybe I'll be, I'll accept you. Maybe you wrestle with that deal you got going on. Because, I, you know, how do you have high standards and you accept one another? Because there's, there's this tension there. <clears throat> the thing that's really wonderful if we really are a church and a people who are concerned about sin in people's lives in other words, if you're really concerned, you aren't just trying to find an excuse not to let them in. If you're really concerned about where their choices and their behaviors might take them, acceptance is the optimal environment for change. We change in environments where we feel fully accepted. You know why? Because if I know you, I will allow you to influence me. If I'm not sure I can really accept you or trust you, then I'm not sure I can be open to your influence. That's why you probably didn't become a Christian the first time that became clear to you that you were a sinner. You became a Christian when you heard that God would accept you anyway, even though you were a sinner. So yes, sin's an issue, and yeah, it's messy, and yeah, some people need to change some behaviors, but the optimal environment to change that, to allow God to do that kind of change in hearts and lives, is an environment of acceptance. I accept you just the way you are, in spite of your past poor performance, in spite of my past, just because God accepted me in spite of my past poor performance. So who am I to reject you? Especially in the context of a group of people who say that our message is forgiveness. So he says, I want you to accept one another. Don't bring up the past. Don't bring up anyone's past. Don't make it an issue, Paul says. He says, I never used that as an excuse not to accept you. Don't you use it as an excuse not to accept one another. So he goes on, and it's not just about learning to accept one another regardless of past poor performance. He says, I want you to learn to actively accept one another. And this is kind of a big deal. Here's the rest of this passage. Verse 8. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant to the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy, as it's written. And then he quotes the Old Testament talking about how Christ came for the Gentiles. And the first time you read this, you're like, are there some verses missing? Did, we, did Paul just change the subject on us and not tell us? Shouldn't there be a chapter division here? Because now I think we're talking about something else. But here's what he's saying. 
He's saying, look, Jesus didn't just sit up in heaven and just think accepting thoughts toward you. He wasn't in heaven just thinking accepting thoughts. He did something. He came to earth in the form of a servant, and he took these two groups that hated each other, the Jews and the Gentiles, and he went out and he served both of them. And he didn't just feel accepting feelings or think accepting thoughts. He went out and he served them to demonstrate that he was actively accepting them. And for the Jews, he fulfilled the Old Testament so they could say, wow, this must be the Messiah. For the Gentiles, he accepted them so people would know that the Christ was the Savior of the whole world. And he sent people to every nation of all the earth preaching the gospel so they could have eternal life and connect with their Heavenly Father. And his point is this. When it comes to accepting one another, it's not about thinking accepting thoughts or feeling accepting feelings. It's about what you do and what you say. Everybody in this room, we feel like we're accepting people. Maybe you're not the most accepting person, but you're more accepting than you used to be. So we kind of feel like we're accepting people. If I were to ask you if you are an accepting person, of course, you'd say, yes, you are. Or I'm better than I used to be. Do you know what? Probably without exception, there are people in your life who don't feel accepted by you. There are certainly people in my life who don't feel accepted by me. Because it's not what you think and it's not what you feel, it's what you do and say. And maybe we haven't, I don't think we've accepted until we've said and done the things that make someone feel accepted. So he says, church, I don't really care what you're thinking and feeling because while you were still a sinner, Christ wasn't up in heaven thinking, accepting thoughts. While you were a sinner, Christ died for you. So church, if you're going to take this seriously, this mandate to accept one another, to do the things that communicate at the heart level, that not only do I feel things about you, I accept you, but because you know from your own experience, you, you feel most accepted by people who say things and do things, not just think and feel things. So let me just give you a, a kind of, whoa, let's get moving. Let's, <laughs> you see the lights flash? Let's not, let, let me just give you kind of a kickstart to moving toward communicating acceptance in your relationships. I want to give you a list of words, and there are far more than this list, but I'm going to give you this and get us started, and there's a reason why I'm giving you these words, and you'll see it in a minute. You can write these down if you want, but here's why this is so important. This is one thing that you can know at the end of the day, whether you've done it or not. At the end of the day, you can ask yourself, did I accept my wife today? Did I accept my husband today? Did I accept my children today? Did I accept that child today? Did I accept my boss today? Did I accept my employees today? Did I, have, did I communicate acceptance today? Did I accept the people at church today? Because this has to, so much more to do with what you say and do than it does about what you think and feel. So let me give you a list of words. First one is the word help. Help, H-E-L-P. When you help me, you accept me. When you help someone, you're sending a message of I care, you're important to me, I accept you. So help. Second word is encourage. When you encourage somebody, you know, way to go, good job. Hey, I noticed I noticed the effort you put in. Great job. Thank you. I appreciate that. When you encourage, that's acceptance. But it's not just encouragement. Encouragement is deeper than that. Third word is the word ask. When you ask me about what's going on in my life, when someone asks me some detail about my life, when they express genuine concern, I feel accepted. I'm sure there are probably some ladies in this room who, and I know it's a small crowd, but who would just love for your husband to ask you about your day. 
So you, what you do, the way you try to get him to ask about your day is you, what do you do? You ask him about his day. And when he doesn't really want to talk about his day, that kind of shuts that whole conversation down. Um, guys, what she's actually trying to say is, ask me about my day. And we don't think of this in terms of acceptance and rejection. We think of this in terms of, I'm just too tired to talk about this. We don't put the labels of acceptance and rejection on that conversation, but that's exactly what it is. When you ask, you're accepting. Fourth word is the word listen. When you listen, that's acceptance. I think this one is really, really underrated. We, we, we underestimate how significant this is in the lives of the people that we do life with. When we listen, we communicate acceptance. And when you don't listen, that's not acceptance. You're communicating rejection. Like, no, 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 I'm, not, I'm just not a good listener. Well, then you're a great rejector then. You know, we don't get to just, oh, well, that's not the way I am, you know. Think back to your own childhood. If you had a, if you had a good upbringing, it's because you felt like people who mattered in your life listened to you. Some of you as adults are still reeling from the fact that you could never get mom and dad to get their attention. You didn't think of it in terms of acceptance and rejection then, but that's exactly what it was. The fifth word is the word empathize. You know what to empathize is? To empathize is to accept your feelings. When I accept your feelings. When I accept the way you feel, I accept you. When you accept the way I feel, you accept me. Without ever knowing it, the people in your life who empathize with you are accepting you, and you feel that. You may not label it as acceptance, but our hearts are drawn toward empathy, um, those people who feel what we feel. There's nothing worse than someone saying, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. Even if they're right, because someone saying you shouldn't feel that way is them saying your feelings are wrong. Quit feeling that. When you reject my feelings, you reject me. When I reject your feelings, I reject you. Last word is remember. If you want to make someone feel accepted, remember what they told you last time you talked and ask them about it. Remember what your kids say. Remember what your wife says. Remember what your husband says. Remember what the guy at work says. Remember what they shared in their prayer requests in a group somewhere, in a Bible study, or in the lobby before church. Remember, because that's acceptance. Some of us need to start doing a better job remembering people's names. If we're really going to be an accepting church, we're not a mega church, okay? So you can know everybody. You can at least know their names. If we're going to not just say we're an accepting church, but be an accepting church, I think the very least we can do, the starting point is to really work at remembering people's names. And you say, well, I've never been really good with names. Well, I would say, come on, let's work on that a little bit then. Let's get better at it. You're, you're probably not good with names because you're probably not working at meeting anybody new. You just gravitate to the same people week after week after week. Everyone, you know, you know, you've known for at least five years. So I would say put a little effort into that. Um, Introduce yourself to people and then speak with the same people the next week and make sure you pull up their names. And you can remember what you want to remember. And if you're going to be an accepting person, I think we need to remember people's names. I'm not saying it has to come easy. It's like a gift for you, if, even if you have to work at it. Because when somebody remembers the details of your life, you're just drawn to them, right? 
probably another 50 words we could come up with, but I don't know if it would make that cool kind of acrostic that we came up with there. But at the end of the day, you know whether or not you've helped somebody. You know whether or not you've accepted or encouraged anybody. You know whether or not you've asked anybody about their life. You know whether or not you've really, truly listened. You know whether or not you've empathized with somebody and shared their feelings. And you know if you've remembered the details. You just know. At the end of the day, you can know if you've communicated acceptance. And Paul says that's what's supposed to characterize the body of Christ, that we are to be an accepting community in spite of poor performance, actively accepting one another. You and I need to tune in to the people around us. We need to learn some, how to do some of this. Because as you learn it with the people around you, as you learn it with family, as you learn it at work, as you learn it at church, it becomes a lifestyle. And at the end of the day, you can know whether or not you've done this. And I can't guarantee that in this church, you won't bounce off a few people. I can't guarantee that. But I can guarantee this, that you have a Heavenly Father who loves you, regardless of your past performance, regardless of you know, what you're into at this very moment. If you will allow Him to, He will accept and receive you as you accept and receive his gift of forgiveness. That I know. Then I would hope that we as a church could be an extension of his hands and his feet in your life and in the lives of the people that we cross paths with as we learn and grow in this idea of acceptance. The Apostle Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, church, that's your goal. That's what you're to shoot for. You're to be a church that's characterized by accepting one another in spite of past poor performance, actively accepting one another. And the Apostle Paul says that as people come into your circles, where your environments, whatever, wherever that might be, before they are asked any questions, before you know anything, they're to experience a kind of love and acceptance because that's exactly what God did when you came his way. He reached out and he received you in spite of everything he already knew about you. So here's one thing I do know about you, that you like being treated that way, don't you? I mean, all of us do. So let's do that for other people. Let's be a church that's characterized not by great music and great teaching and an active whatever program and all kinds of this or that. But man, when you're with these people, you just feel like you're home. You just feel like you belong. You just feel like you're loved and you know that you're accepted. I think let's, let's do and say the things that communicate acceptance. Let's uh, listen to this song. This is uh, David Crowder. Listen to this.
Thank you for making the effort and being here this morning. Appreciate it. Drive safely. You're dismissed. Bless you.